Uh, Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, we'll read responsively. The Word of God says, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice and judgment and equity, to give subtlety to the simple and to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase learning and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. To understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And let's pray. Lord, what a powerful group of verses as a beginning of a powerful book. And Lord, there's so many truths we could discuss tonight. We're not going to go deep into these things, but Lord, some practical tips that will help us along the way. And so I pray that you'd help this message to be simple enough for us to assimilate it quickly and to be able to understand it and put it into our lives and practice in our lives right away, but yet powerful enough to be truly life-changing, to change homes, families, uh, the course of the lives of adults and children. And that can only happen if you endure it with power from on high. So I pray you'd give me the words to say for this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Tonight I want to preach a very, very simple message. We're not going deep into the scriptures tonight. Often we'll look at many, many verses. Uh, often with each point I'll have substantiating verses and illustrations. Now that's not the structure of the message tonight. It is exceedingly simple. Uh, but I think that's the way the Lord would have it to be. And honestly, it's not a long message. Uh, I want to give you some very practical things this is probably one of those messages where you're going to need to write a few things down and then think through later after this sermon's over, think through how you're going to put some of these principles in practice in your life and your family. And very, very simple, but the truths are tremendously powerful. As we look at the book of Proverbs here, the Bible teaches us that Proverbs is written for young people, primarily. It's God's intention that young people learn the principles and the truths of God while they're young. That will greatly help their lives as they get older. Now, some of us in this room, we got saved as teenagers, some in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. Uh, but all of us who are saved got saved at a place in our life to where the faster we can assimilate Bible truth into our lives, the faster we can get Bible principles to change my daily function, the way I, the way I live life daily, then the quicker the blessings of God come upon me. Would you agree with that? And so young people, the young people in this room, have an opportunity that some of us didn't. And that is that you have the opportunity to start life now uh, 
without making some of the mistakes that the rest of us in the room made. Without having to learn the hard way some of the mistakes that some of us have had to learn the hard way. And some have spiritual scars and sometimes even physical and emotional scars to prove or to remind us of the mistakes we've learned. You know, some sins last a lifetime, the consequences. And we can get forgiveness of those spiritually, but they affect our lives every day while we're here on this earth. Now, I'm thankful for the grace of God that helps us through those things. But what I'm trying to say today is you young people in this room, you children, you teenagers, and even you young adults, boy, you have an opportunity that that most of the world will not have. And that is to skip out on so many of life's pain and heartache, so much of life's pain and heartache, and to begin experiencing the blessings of God sooner. And that's not even counting uh, all the eternal rewards that you can be uh, generating as a young person and all the glory to God you can bring as a young person. And so uh, tonight's message is geared not to young people, although you will get something out of this. It's geared primarily to those who are influencing young people. And even more specific than that, primarily to parents of teenagers. Now let me say, someone might say, well, I don't have teenagers, so this sermon's not for me. No, the sermon's still for you. In every sermon, there's something for you. And so some of you have young kids that will be teenagers one day. I promise you, you're going to need this one day. Some of you, you say, well, my kids are already grown, and I don't have teenagers anymore. No, but do you have grandchildren? Do you have great-grandchildren? Are you sitting in a church that has teenagers? And so all of these truths will help us to understand how we can best help teenagers where they're at and also assimilate some of this into our own character and where we're at. I don't think there's ever been a day where uh, a teenage young person is under so much spiritual attack from Satan. There are so many opportunities to do wrong. Uh, You know, honestly, used to, if you wanted to sin, you'd have to leave your house, go down to the corner store, or go over to a friend's house, find somewhere, someplace where sin was happening, and partake of it. Uh, But the truth is, there is a world of sin at your fingertips today. Uh, The internet brings every sin known to man right to your cell phone, right to your computer. Funnels it right into our house through uh, TV. And listen to me, TV's getting worse and worse. I'm talking, it used to be bad, it's getting filthy. And uh, you talk about things like Netflix and Amazon Prime and all of those things. They're all becoming producers now and they're producing their own shows But the issue is they don't have the old restrictions of ABC and NBC. Most of these new new shows coming out are rated TVMA. They have every other word. They have a nudity. They have concepts and things, but they're not promoted that way. It just looks like any other show. And the truth is there are some people that are watching shows and your kids are watching shows and you have no idea what they're watching. You know, Game of Thrones was just really big. You want to talk about a filthy show. Well, dragons are cool. Yeah, dragons are kind of cool. And that that age, that that time period is kind of, it's a neat world. Yeah, it's a neat world. But you've got to wade through so much sewer to get to the storyline. 
so many crazy things. I mean, we could just talk on and on about that in general. Think about the music. Uh, I saw a, a, something on my phone. It came up, and I was, I was on a perfectly fine site, and it said it was a, a preview for this new uh, single coming out by a, some R&B star. I won't, I won't mention who it was. And so every once in a while, I'll just look and see who's popular. I'll look and see the names so I know who to preach against, amen. And then every once in a while, I'll look at the lyrics and say, okay, what's this song about? And I pulled up this song, and it, I heard and saw filthy words in seconds that I'm like, this is on the radio? I'm talking about absolutely filthy and vile lyrics. And this is a new hit song that's being promoted everywhere as something consumable and good. The mo- most parents don't have any concept what's going on in the world. It's like we know, we know public schools have degraded and they're teaching things that we don't agree with, but most parents haven't stepped into a, a public school or a classroom since they left. So they don't know what's being taught uh, as, as far as the, the uh, uh, physical education and the social things and the books that they're being taught to read and the, the other things. I mean, we, we have to, as adults, if we're going to protect our children in 2019 and, and onward, we have to have an awareness of what's going on so we can guide our children. Would you agree with that? Here's the thing, parents. Here's the thing, ministry worker. As children grow into adulthood, we find many stages of parenting. Some of you have children in the nursery. That requires an entirely different type of parenting than those children who are four, five, and six, and seven sitting with you now. And then parenting changes again when they get 9, 10, 11, 12. And then parenting changes again when they get 13, 14, 15, 16. And then parenting changes again when they get 16, 17, 18, 19. Parenting changes again when they get 20, 21, 22. So all I'm saying is parenting is not a static thing. It's a changing thing over time. Listen to this statement. It is possible for someone to be a great parent at one stage of life and fail when their children are in another stage of life. We've seen this many times over the years. So I'm encouraging parents to understand that in order for us to help our children as they grow up, parents must be flexible and grow in grace as their children grow. You have to grow spiritually as your children are growing physically and emotionally and mentally or you will get behind the curve and you'll be unprepared for the next stage. Now listen, all of us are unprepared. No matter how well you prepare, the kids are always coming up with something new, amen? And there's always something that's like there's no book in the world that's covered this. I am the first person that ever heard this or saw this. What in the world am I supposed to do? And part of that has to do with changing culture, different opportunities, different ways of thinking, uh, all of that. And so we have to be growing. The same is true with Christian workers. Uh, Some people say, well, I'm good with nursery, but I'm not good with juniors. I'm good with juniors, but I'm not good with teens. And I'm good with teens, but I'm not good with adults. I'm good with adults, but I'm not good with the nursing home. No, you can be good with all types of different people if you're willing to grow and learn the needs of those people and how to communicate with those people. Now, all of us have a particular sweet spot where I feel most comfortable or it's more natural for me to minister to these folks, right? 
But that, imagine as a pastor if I said, hey, I can only deal with people 90 years old and older. I mean, that's, the rest of you, I can't deal with you. Uh, that doesn't work. Or, you know, my, my sweet spot is six and seven-year-olds or, or, or uh, eight through ten. You know, the rest of you, I don't know what to tell you. No, no, we have to learn to adapt and learn how to deal with different groups of people. That's true in the ministry, and I encourage all of our ministry workers, while you might be especially good with one grade or one stage, don't get locked into that stage where you don't grow and learn how to learn with others. But let me also say that this works as a parent. You know, some, some adults love babies, but then they get to be toddlers, and it's like, I can't deal with this. I know one, I know one man, and I can't believe he said this. I almost slapped him when he said it. Uh, his wife told me, and he's, he doesn't go to church here. His wife told me, uh, my husband doesn't like babies. Well, you got a couple of them. I know, my, my husband doesn't. Well, does, does your husband want to hold Oh, he doesn't want to hold her. Oh, what? Oh, he doesn't like babies. He doesn't like this baby? No. He'll like her when she can walk. It's like, what? Yeah, once they can walk and talk and communicate, then he likes them. And he's a wonderful father then. And I'm like, well, what about now? And so uh, it's easy for us to get locked in. Years ago, I knew a man, and, and he had amazing children. I mean, just tremendous children. But he was having trouble with the children as they got to be uh, in the teenage years and the, the late teenage, early adult years. Uh, he, didn't, he was having trouble with them. And so I was talking with him, and basically the problem was his, his older kids in their 20s, he wanted them to live as if they were still in their mid-teens. And I said, I said, no, brother, I said, this isn't how this works. I said, you have to let them grow up. And he's like, no, this is how it's going to work. And I told him, I said, you, you are a wonderful father, and your children are tremendous I said, but you don't have a plan to transition them from children to adulthood. And he looked at me very cockily and said, well, we'll see how your kids do. And I say, I might blow it too. But that's not going to help your kids to wait until my kids get that age. I said, we're talking about your kids. And, and I wasn't even telling him what to do. I just said, you've got to come up with a plan. You have to have some blueprint. Give them permission to become adults. And so uh, much trouble ensued from that inside the family. And so we have to be flexible and grow as our children grow and even in ministry work. Now look back at Proverbs. What we find in Proverbs is that children, and here specifically talking to young people, teenagers, uh, they need direction. And I want you teenagers to look at me for a minute. This does not mean that I think you're stupid. This doesn't mean that I think you're dumb or you're incapable. It has nothing to do with your IQ. It has to do with the lack of experience and discernment. And so over the years, I've had so many young people, you treat me like I'm stupid. No, I treat you like you're young. I treat you like you don't have the life experience and discernment to know what's coming next. And by the way, I've never been 50. The rate I'm going, I may not make 50. <laughs> who knows? But I've never been 50. So I'm trying to learn from people who are there and watch them and learn and ask advice so I can be a successful 50-year-old. It's foolish of me to say, well, don't tell me anything. I'm 42. I got it all figured out. The older you get, the more you figure out how little you have figured out. 
And so it's, it's foolish for a young person to say, well, hey, I'm 14, I'm 15, I'm 16, I'm 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. I got it all figured out. Nobody needs to tell me anything. That is pride and foolishness. And so it doesn't have anything to do with your IQ or how valuable I think you are. It has to do with the Bible teaches us that young people need instruction and guidance. Can we agree on that from the scripture? All right. And then the Bible teaches us what Proverbs is going to give them. It's going to give young people wisdom and instruction and understanding and justice and judgment and equity. We've been through those things before. I'm not going to define them all right now. And look, look at verse four to give subtlety to the simple and to the young man knowledge and discretion. All right. So we've been through this before. The three great characters in the book of Proverbs. You have the simple. That's just someone who doesn't know. They haven't made up their mind yet. It's like a blank piece of page, uh, a blank piece of paper. You have the fool who's decided they don't care what God says. They're going to do it their way. And you have the wise person that says, I want to know what God says, and I'm going to order my life the way God tells me to. All right. Now, everybody, every child, every teenager, every young person is simple. It's not a derogatory term. It's just true. No, not enough life experience, not enough discernment to know how to live their lives. That's why simple people can be easily swayed into foolishness if they don't have the right guidance. To make matters worse, the Bible tells us foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. And so if we're all simple and over here's wisdom, and over here's foolishness, the Bible tells us that I as a human, and you as a human, we are bent to foolishness. That means with no guidance, with no direction, with no instruction, we will become fools. It's hardwired into us. Thankfully, the Bible teaches us a different way. God teaches us, no, you can, you can be wise. No, this is right. This is wrong. Thankfully, God's given us parents and preachers and grandparents and teachers and all of these things to guide us in our lives so we know which direction to go. And we take a step and rebuke says, oh, don't go that way. And reproof says, oh, don't go that way. And then correction says, no, we're going to go this way. And then when I'm wise, I take a step back towards righteousness and I take a step back towards wisdom. But a fool says, don't tell me what to do. I'm going to do it my own way. And they push against the guidance that's leading them. And that's what Proverbs chapter 9 says, that if you rebuke a wise man, he will love thee. A wise man who's bent towards foolishness doesn't want to be a fool, but he might be heading that direction. So when someone comes in his life and says, hey, hold on, that's the wrong way. You need to go this way. A wise man says, thank you. Thank you so much. I don't want to ruin my life. I don't want to become a fool. Thank you for showing me the way to go. And they go the right way. But the Bible says rebuke a scorner and he will hate thee. So you're going the wrong way. And someone says, hey, you don't want to go that way. Who do you think you are? Oh, that preacher thinks he knows everything. Just trying to build a kingdom. What a dictator. Or maybe they say, oh, my parents are so strict. They won't let me do anything. I can't watch anything. I can't go anywhere. Oh, my parents are all that church, man. All the rules. How about all the people saved? How about all the grace? How about all the mercy? How about all the people helped? You can't see that because all a scorner can see is don't tell me what to do. And they push away all the guidance and take a further step into foolishness. 
Everybody in the room, young and old, we are all at a crossroads every day of our lives. Will we become more foolish or will we become more wise? We have guides in our lives teaching us and helping us. But the Bible here to Proverbs is starting with young people. Young people are simple and they need direction. Now the word young man, I heard a preacher say years ago that the word young man here has the idea of the body of an adult but the mind of a child. And I thought that's a really interesting way to describe that, those years between childhood and adulthood. Sometimes the physical maturity outweighs the mental and emotional maturity, right? Uh, sometimes because we're growing taller and our muscles are getting bigger and we're looking, you're looking more feminine, not me. Uh, you're looking more feminine. And it's like, hey, I'm, I, I'm growing up. I look like a lady. I look like a man. We can begin to think we are. But there's still so many things we don't know. And so we have to have instruction and guidance. Now, uh, the Bible goes on to say not only are some people, everybody's simple, we become foolish or wise. But look at Proverbs chapter 7, verse 7. Now, I could look at a lot of verses in Proverbs here. I'm cutting it really short from what I would like to give you. But just giving you a few things to build a foundation. All right, Proverbs chapter 7. Look at verse 1. My son, keep my words and lay up my commandments with thee. And so again, a lot of emphasis on instruction in Proverbs. Accepting instruction, listening, hearing, obeying, keeping. Verse 2, keep my commandments and live and my law is the apple of thine eye. The purpose of commandments are not to enslave you, they're to set you free from the slavery of sin. Just like the fence in, in, in a yard is not built to keep the people in, it's not a prison, but it is there for protection. There's a difference between the fence at the prison and the fence in your backyard. But sometimes teenagers can't tell the difference. And so we have to point it out. There's a difference. Those rules aren't there to trap you in. They're there to keep the bad stuff out. And so look at verse 7. So we see a young man. He's going to get himself in trouble. Verse 7, Proverbs 7. And I beheld, and beheld among the simple ones, I discerned among the youths, a young man void of understanding. So understanding speaks of he doesn't know how it all works. And oftentimes young people, and by the way, this is true of adults too, they have trouble making connections between cause and effect. If I do this, that will happen. If I don't do that, this will happen. Experience is a good teacher, isn't it? Where you learn very quickly. If I jump off the roof of the garage, I might get hurt. But teenagers, I mean, especially teenage boys, they'll try anything. Hey, watch this, Bubba. <laughs> you know, next thing you know, they're driving. I mean, as teenagers, we did all kinds of crazy stuff. I had a friend who he had a dock in a lake. And I went over there one day, and he had a little ramp built on the end of the dock, and he had bicycles out there, and he had a rope tied to his bicycle. I said, what in the world are you doing? And he said, watch this. And he took off on his bicycle, and he rode up that ramp and, and went up to the, uh, flew up in the air, and all of a sudden at the height, the rope kind of kicked in and boom, and pulled the bike out from under him, and he went flying and hit the water, and he came up, oh, that hurts, oh, that hurts. You want to try it? I'm like, No. I just saw what you did. I don't need to try that. I mean, we grew up in the country, so people, you get bored. 
Hey, Bubba, come and touch this fence. Touch that wire right there. Why? I'll give you a dollar if you touch that wire. Why? Make it $2, I'll touch the wire. Okay. And you go over there and touch the wire. You know, it's an electric fence. And then after he knows it's electric, then the bets go higher. Hey, uh, if you stick that, if you stick your tongue on that wire, I'll give you my bike. Are you serious? You're gonna give me your bike? Oh yeah, I'll give you my bike. Ah, you know, I mean, it's it's just there, there's no cause and effect here. It's like these are not good ideas. And thus it is with life. Sometimes it's hard for people who are void of understanding to say, "I'm not going to do that because X, Y, and Z will happen." And so. Uh, young people particularly, and by the way, I'm not just talking about teenagers, I'm talking about some of you in your early 20s. You, you don't have enough experience yet to figure it all out. And one of the biggest mistakes we make, even as older adults, is we think we know what the consequences are, but we misjudge them. So we say, well, I know I shouldn't do this, and I know this and this is going to happen, but it'll be okay. But then you do it, and you way misjudge the consequences. It's like, Wow. I didn't think this would happen. Well, we shouldn't have done it in the first place. And so we, we have to have guidance in our lives. Now, having said all that, let me give just seven quick things to teenagers, parents of teenagers, adults, and so on. I'll make a couple comments. Usually we'd have corresponding scriptures for each of these and illustrations. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to give you the seven tips, make a couple comments, and we'll go to the house. Let me say number one. Practical tips for raising teens. Number one, set a good example. Set a good example. Listen to me, parent. Nobody is perfect, and we all struggle. But we also have to realize that what one generation does in in moderation, the next is going to do in excess. What you have the discernment to say, well, I'm going to sin, but I'm only going to do it this much. Your children don't have that discernment. You're going to sin this much, and they're going to sin this much in that area. And so it's incumbent upon all of us to try to set a good example. We have to realize that there may be sins that we allow in our lives that we've, we kind of have in, in, in kind of a, it's still sin and we know it's wrong, but it's not going to destroy us. It's kind of in that, that pet zone where we know it's a sin and it's, it's kind of there and we know we probably shouldn't do it, but we're going to do it anyway. But we forget that our sins that we might have under control, which we don't, may hit our children very differently. And so you might watch something on TV, and you're like, that's no big deal, but it's hitting your kids different. And you might listen to something, but it's hitting your kids different. And you might say something or do something, but it's hitting your kids different. And especially, let me warn you, parents, especially when it comes to romantic themes, uh, teenagers, they, are, they, are, they get to a place where they are infatuated by love. They want to be loved. They want someone to love. They're trying to figure all this out. And if you're not careful, you might watch something that is inappropriate, but you've been married so long that that doesn't really hit you. Matter of fact, you're kind of past it. <laughs> you shouldn't be. You shouldn't be. But you're just like, yeah. But it's hitting them different. And they're going to struggle with it. Uh, and that could be songs, too. Well, this is okay. This song's okay. But, but you're married. You, and, and watch this, parents. It's so in the realm of marriage, you have an avenue to fulfill your God-given desires. 
teenagers and young adults don't. And if they're going to do it right, they won't for a long time. And so we have to be careful seeing the things we allow in our house, not just through what's affecting me, but it might be hitting my kids differently. Does that make sense to you? So we set a good example. Let me just remind some of us that some of us got saved later in life. Some of you got saved later in life. Some of you are coming back to God and you have scars. Uh, I know none of us as parents feel like we're worthy of it. None of us probably feel like we're doing a good job. If you feel like you're a great parent, you're probably not. You know, most most parents are like, I'm doing the best I can, but God help us all. You know, I I just I struggle. You know, my my uh, parenting philosophy is do the best you can and trust God to make up the difference. Uh, and I mean that, do the best you can. But, but, but we fail. We leave gaps. None of us are perfect. And we fail every day. But don't use as an excuse to never start. And so wherever you're at today, start today. Maybe you really blew it yesterday, parent. Start today. Uh, maybe you blew it this morning. Start tonight. And, and just work on praying and tell the kids, say, look, I've been struggling in this area. Daddy's going to try to make that better. Mama's going to try to do this better. Pray for me. I want to set a good example. I want to be like Jesus. Set a good example. Let me tell you, young people, perhaps you, you come from a home where there is no good example. You can still serve Jesus. Perhaps you live in a totally godless home. You can still serve Jesus. Stop using your home as an excuse of why God can't help you. He can help you. And we could take you in the Bible and tell you other examples of people that came from horrible circumstances that turned out to be wonderful servants of God. Uh, It's more about what's in your heart than what's in your home. We all need to take responsibility for our own actions. However, parents, it is within our power to shape our home. So we ought to do what we can. Let me say number two, expect righteousness regardless of personal struggles. What do you mean, pastor? Uh, Worldly teenagers, selfish teenagers, and I'm not talking about the ones necessarily in this room. I'm just making a point. Worldly and selfish teenagers are experts at pointing out your faults and making you feel like a hypocrite. They do this pointing out your sins, hoping that you'll ease up on theirs. Well, yeah, you're mad at me, but look what you did yesterday. And yeah, I know I shouldn't do that, but man, you cussed this morning. And yeah, you want me to go to church. When's the last time you were at church? And so they'll point out your sins, hoping, and a parent, if you're not careful, you'll be like, yeah, you're right. I am failing you, so never mind. You don't have to keep the rules. Never mind. I'm not going to hold you accountable for that. Huge mistake. Huge mistake. Expect righteousness regardless of personal struggles. So remember, number one, we're trying to set a good example But neither are we going to allow our personal struggles to give our children a pass, which they think is going to help them, but ultimately it's going to hurt them. All right? Hold the line. Explain to your children that you struggle because of your past, but you want victory. You're trying to do better. And then explain to them that even though you still struggle, you don't want them to face the same problems in life. You're trying to teach them a better way. I want you to be better than daddy. I want you to be better than mommy. And my mom, used, she, she, she drilled that into us. Well, well why, why can't we do that? And you struggle with this. Yes, but I want you to be better. And, and, and we do this. Yes, but I, I want better for you than that. You have opportunities I don't have, and I have done wrong, and I do struggle, but I want better for you. 
And so don't allow your own guilt for the struggles that you have to unknowingly hurt your children as you ease up on them. Does that make sense to you? Let me say number three. Uh, get on the same page. Uh, so if you, are, if you have a mom and dad in the home, two parents in the home, parents get on the same page. Worldly teens, and again, I'm not talking about the teens in this room. I'm talking about just teenagers in general. Worldly teenagers are great at the divide and conquer strategy. Well, dad said, well, mom said, and pitting mom and dad against each other, and now mom and dad are locked in a battle, and the teenager kind of skates through or gets what they want. Mom and dad, the best thing you can do for your kids is to love each other. The best thing you can do for your kids is talk about issues, get on the same page, don't fight in front of the children. And if you get it wrong or you make a mistake, you, you know what, we need to talk about to daddy about that. Or you know what, I don't know that your mom said that, uh, but, but let's, mom and I are going to talk about that and then we'll get back to you. Don't fall for the divide and conquer stuff. And don't start yelling at each other, don't get in a fight in front of them, go in a bedroom, talk quietly, come out with a united front. Does that make sense to you? Best thing you could do for your children. All right, let me tell you to single parents, it's hard to be a single parent. And you don't have that backup. Single moms don't have the backup of a strong dad that stands up and says, you're not going to do that. And uh, single, single dads don't have the, the, the nurture and the love of a mother that kind of softens the, the, the hardness of where they're at, where they're just trying to do right. A guy can get kind of hard about it, and a mom just wants everybody to be okay, and so she can get kind of soft and let, let too many things go. God made it for a husband and wife to work together, and, and, and as one, they, they, they mellow each other, they, they strengthen each other, and that's a united front. But a single parent doesn't have that. And it's, it's incredibly difficult as a single parent to find that balance between strength and, and mercy and, and justice and love. It's incredibly difficult. So what you need to do is find someone in your world, in the church, find another family, find uh, uh, your preacher or some other godly families and get close to them, unite with them, get on the same page and say, you know what, this is what we believe. You know, you can say, well, this, this, is what, this is what the church says, or this is what the Bible says, or this is what, you know, we're not the only crazy people in Wakefield. There's other crazy people. I mean, look at the Beatties. Look at Brother Ken. I mean, these people are crazy. And uh, uh, no, but, but it does help to be able to say, you know what, we're not crazy. This is the right way to do things. And there's other families who are living that way, too, because it's right. And, you know, by the way, uh, oftentimes I make the offer to, to single parents. If you're struggling with your kids, come talk to me. Bring them to me. I'll help you in any way I can. Sometimes it's love. Sometimes it's, it's a firm hand as a pastor. Sometimes I'll do whatever I can do, but you have to find somebody to partner with. Get on the same page. Let me say number four. Never criticize their other authorities. Never. Never, 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 never criticize their other authorities. Mama, don't tear dad down. Daddy, don't tear mom down. Let me say this, parents, don't tear the preacher down. Not because he's me, but because as your kids get older, you're gonna, they're going to need their pastor. And you're going to need their pastor. Don't tear down their Sunday school teachers. Don't tear down their school teachers. Listen to this statement. It's so true. Anytime you tear down one authority, you tear down them all. 
Anytime you tear down one authority, you tear down all authority. And without knowing it, you undermine your own authority when you tear down others. So you teach them they don't have to listen to their teacher and they don't have to listen to the preacher and they don't have to listen to their daddy and they don't have to listen to their mama and they don't have to listen to the principal. Then why in the world should they listen to you? Well, because God said to. Well, God told me to listen to those people too. But you told me not to. And so without knowing it, when we get critical, we're actually digging out the foundation from under our own feet and eventually that collapses and we think, Now my child's not listening to anybody. We never criticize other authorities. We said, number one, set a good example. Number two, expect righteousness regardless of personal struggles. Number three, get on the same page. Number four, never criticize authorities. Number five, never allow work or pleasure to disrupt church attendance. I need your parents to look at me. Adults, look at me. Money and work in America is a false god. It is an idol. You tell me what's more important. Your kids making eight fifty an hour or learning how to be a human. Your kids making a hundred bucks a week or learning how to be a good Christian. And I see people, parents will say, Well, my kids are old enough now, they gotta get a job, and you know you have to work on Wednesday. No, you don't. No fifteen, sixteen year old, seventeen year old needs to work on Wednesday. Matter of fact, as long as my kids are in my house, they just won't do it. We'll all starve because church is vital. Now, if you're an adult, you're in a situation that might be another topic for another time. I don't think it's ever wise to miss church for work. However, sometimes you get yourself in a pickle. If that's you, don't just sit there and say, well, this is me. Pray about it. Try to find a way out of that. Make church a priority. Try to ask God to change your schedule. Ask God for a different job, something. But there are some jobs that have some weird so, some, some weird uh, criteria. But for a teenager, they never have to work on a Sunday. They never have to work on a Wednesday. And I'm telling you right now, we have kids in this room that if you're not careful, in a year or two or three from now, they'll be skipping church, out making eight, nine bucks an hour uh, on, on a Wednesday or a Sunday, and their lives are going to turn, and they're going to get away from God I've seen it happen. You say, preacher, you're adamant about that. I've seen it happen so many times. I could stand here and weep. Our community is filled with young people who had the opportunity for better. But they were given all the reasons why it's okay. And then while it's okay, they're getting away from God. My heart breaks. Absolutely breaks. And let me say this, certainly not for sports. I'm so tired of these dumb peewee football leagues on Sunday morning. T-ball, you know, my, my kid's T-ball, so we got a five years old, we got to skip church so they can go set a little ball on a tee and hit it four feet. Well, we want them to be a man. We want them to, don't try to spiritualize it. You'd rather be out playing than in church. And so we have to get this thing under control. And parents, if you don't have it down, our children have no hope. Well, you know, they got basketball practice on Wednesday night, so I guess we won't be in church. How about you tell the coach, listen, uh, we're in church, and church comes first. And so if, if you want them to be on your team, I don't mind, but my kids are in church. They say, well, they won't let them be on the team. I'd rather my kids never learn how to throw a ball, never learn how to dribble a basketball, and be a human being that can give back to society and be a productive person and a good human and a decent Christian. 
There's a lot of heroin addicts that know how to throw a fastball. There's a lot of homeless people that can shoot a free throw. Help us. Help us, Lord. Never allow work or pleasure to disrupt church attendance. We say number six, set biblical standards and explain their Bible and practical foundation. Parents, as your children get older, parenting becomes more mental and less physical. It's, no, it's not as much sitting them in the corner. It's not as much spanking. It's not as much physical. It becomes a lot more emo- mental and emotional. You have to know how. You have to know what you believe, why you believe it, and explain it to them. We don't do this because the Bible says this. We don't do that because the Bible says that. And they, they have, it's not enough to tell a teenager to do it because I said. Now, in my rule in our house, I'll just tell you what my rule is. I don't mind you asking why. Matter of fact, I want you to learn, but don't ask me when I tell you. Do this. Why? Wrong. Do it, and then ask why. Because it becomes a why. Every time you ask me to do something, why do I have to do that? You're going to do it because I told you. And then ask me why later. But don't, don't get in the habit. Listen, you can tell a 5-year-old do it because daddy said. You can tell a 10-year-old do it because they said. You got a 15-year-old, 12, 13, 14, 15. You got to be able to sit down and say, listen, here's why we do that. Let me show you the verses in the Bible. Let me explain to you my experience and the experience of others. Let me teach you why that rule is important. Make sense to you? Set biblical standards and explain their biblical and practical foundation. Hold the line and explain the reason. And then number seven, lastly, the goal for them is to become like Jesus. Good enough isn't. It's not enough to just be drug free. The goal isn't, well, they didn't have any babies before they were married. The goal isn't, well, they're not an addict or an alcoholic. The goal isn't, well, they're not in jail. Sometimes parents set the bar so low, it's like, are you serious? That that's your goal? You've got 18 years to rear these kids, and that's your goal? I had someone tell me one time, well, if, if, if they can get out of my house without, without being in jail, on drugs, or pregnant, I'll be happy. I was like, what? That's not, that's not biblical. I, I want you to listen to me. The goal is for children to become like Jesus. The goal is for you and I, adults, to become like Jesus. Here's a statement I heard years ago, and I've never forgot it. Good boys don't change the world. Well, he's a good boy. But he could be so much more. Well, she's a good girl. That's a compliment, but she could be so much more. She could be like Jesus. She, she could love God. She could have a servant's heart. She could be so valuable to the community, to the church, the work of God, to her husband, to her children. He could be so... I think we set the bar too low. Now, here's, here's the balance, and I need you to hear this. I'm not going to preach on it. I'm going to say it, and we're going to be done, but I need you to hear me. The balance is my expectations are up here, but if that's where your acceptance level is, you'll teach your kids they can never please you. Here's the balance. Here's the goal. This is what I expect but here's where I accept you. Here's where, here's where we're okay. And so you love them where you're at, but you lead them to be so much more. 
Same thing in church work. Say, oh, that church has high expectations. Well, we're all trying to be like Jesus. That's kind of the point. Wouldn't give you a plug nickel for a church that's teaching people, come as you are, stay as you are, leave, go be the same. That's not, that's not the goal of Christianity. So the, the, the goal of all Christians is way up here, but God says you're accepted in the beloved. I accept you when you trust Jesus, and then I help you get where you're going. And it ought to be the same with our children. And, and, and with our kids, it's very simple. Just teach them from when they're young or from wherever they're at. It's very easy to make daddy happy. Just do what God wants. It's very easy to make mommy happy. Just do what God wants. That sets the bar pretty low. I love you where you're at. And you know what? If you fail, we're going to help you. You know, sometimes your kids are going to come to you and it's like, listen, I fail too. Uh, I, I struggle too. But the acceptance is down here, but we don't leave them here. The goal is to get them to be like Jesus. Let's pray. Father, help us as we... Uh, talk about these things and we look at them and so I, I love the young people of our church I love our teenagers I'm so proud of them pleased with what you've done in their lives this uh, this summer Lord I want so badly for them to succeed I want so desperately for them to not have to go into the world and get chewed up and spit out Lord the devil would love to take their innocence and he would love to take their years and their future God, I've seen it happen so many times where people that had so much potential and so much opportunity and they, they just flush it down the toilet. Uh, I've seen parents who, who were, were good parents at one stage just lose it as their kids get older. God, help us. Help us. And help all of us adults, too. This isn't just a message for teenagers. Boy, this applies to all of us. And so I pray that you'd help us all to seek you and to try to be like you. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Let's stand. As the piano plays, the altar is open. Whatever the Lord spoke to your heart about.